Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. I believe this is going to be episode uh, 51. We've just passed the half century mark. And to start our next 50 episodes, I'm thrilled to be joined by Ryan and Glenn from Village Green. Sorry, Village. Wow, almost messed that up right from the get-go. Village Garage in Vermont. Ryan, Glenn, apologies for that and welcome. Oh, good. All right, so... So, um, yeah, I was looking, I have the uh, three bottles next to me. And for some reason, I saw the word village and then the word rye whiskey was in green and my brain immediately said village green. And I was like, nope, that's not right. Nope. So village garage in Vermont. So um, I like to start these off where most people will start this off. So what's the origin story of the distillery? That's me. Um, hey, um, the, the backstory is basically it was Christmas Eve, 2018, at a family function with my wife and my wife's family, and small talk at Christmas Eve dinner led into joking about you know making booze and making it illegally, and you know <laughs> what if someday and my wife's uncle, which is Matt Cushman, my, or my partner. Um, looked across the table and he goes, no, let's do this legit. Like, this is a dream of mine. Like, I would love to do a distillery and do it, do it right. And small talk, you know, throughout dinner, a couple of drinks, a couple of drinks, the, you know, the, the conversation got a little thicker and, uh, you know, we both went our separate ways that night, Christmas morning. I want to say Matt beat the kids up the stairs at my house. <laughs> it's like, I didn't sleep last night. I was like, I didn't either. And, uh, you know, we joked about it a little more serious Christmas day. And uh, the day after Christmas, I went back to my day job and thought about it all day. And I knew there was a building in town, which was actually the old village garage. This is the, we're, we're located in the highway department in the center of our downtown. We're on the four corner block of downtown Bennington. And I came over, got keys, took a look at it with, with a friend and, uh, you know, hypothetically speaking, with them, you know, what if, what if, what if, and uh, long story short, the building went out to bid to a public bid on January 7th or January 9th. So I reached out to Matt and the jokes weren't funny anymore. It became real. And I want to say we had an LLC formed before January 1st, um, or it was the, the Tuesday after the first. We had a makeshift business plan put together and we had a bid in that stack for the the property by the January 7th or 9th cutoff. Um, we made it through the first round of bids, polished things up a little bit more, did some more homework. We went through another round of bidding. We ended up getting the property. So hence the name, the Village Garage. We were, it's This building was built in the 1940s, late 40s as an international harvester tractor dealership. And in 1955, the tractor dealership ended up kind of just becoming a tractor repair shop. And at that point, they sold the property to the village of Bennington. And it, then from that point out, it was just known as by the name now, the Village Garage. And it maintained our downtown. And uh, then, you know, from there, the rest of its history, we just started hunting down equipment and doing a build out. And we were three years, we went, we worked right through COVID. And, uh, you know, we've, Ryan's been distilling for over a year here in this property. And the, the other side, the restaurant tasting room has been open now. I think this is week 19 that we're open on that side of the wall. So 
that's that's long story short i mean that's it's in timeline wise it, it's uh i believe i can literally say it's unheard of to to form an llc in pretty much a week and then yeah, we were everywhere. a we week went. later be bidding on a property seemed like the thing to do at the time <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't we wouldn't be here you know so they fair it's I mean, it's a great confluence of events, of course, to have it happen. It's just usually the story, even even with a smaller or newer distillery, it's, you know, it took a couple of years. We got partners together. We had to find a space. And we get, so um, oh, I did. I mean, the build out was three years. So it was it was, it was 2018 to current. So, so sure. Um, but still, that's fantastic. And uh, are, have you been kind of rephrase rephrase this as what is your connection to Vermont and to Bennington? I technically could be called Generation Nine, but the fact that New York and New Hampshire were still fighting over the land when our family was here, it wasn't quite Vermont yet. So I'm technically an eighth generation Vermont on the same land. And some people call Glennington, if you know yeah, him very well. Yeah. <laughs> so, and same thing with my partner, Matt. His family goes back, you know, seven, eight generations also right here in town. Gotcha. So it's more than just the born and bred. It's really long, long tradition generations there. Yep. Uh, it makes sense. It's always just a question of when it's, when you have any distillery that's not in the, you know, the couple of the handful of major distilling states, it usually comes down to this is where I'm from and it's where I want to distill and create a business. So. We just want to help get back to the little town where we grew up and, and see a downtown again and, and let our kids and the next generations hopefully have, you know, downtown life again so. absolutely and that kind of precludes a, a question i was going to ask later which was uh you know this confluence of events led to you having the space in downtown uh in the heart of the town but of course there's always the option if you wanted to of, of doing a distillery or creating what you wanted to create outside of town converting to a tasting room you know a number of smaller distilleries that wanted to grow have done that um, but it sounds like this is this is where you want to keep the business long term. Yeah. Yes, this, I mean this building is, is, I mean it's kind of spot on, I guess. <laughs> Trying to, it just it's got charm, it's got character. It, it, it was you know, just it feels right, and that's why we did it. We did it here downtown for the long haul. Fantastic. And uh, Ryan, what's your story coming here? Oh wow. Uh... I, you know, I kind of started where he was thinking to start. I did uh, industrial electrician for 20 years, my own business. And I would always homebrewed beer and made wine. And we may or may not have been home distilling for a very long time, moonshining for years and using that money to take lavish motorcycle trips. And uh, me and my buddy, Nick, that on the homebrew store, he, he called me up and was like, hey, you want to ride motorcycles across the country? I said, why not? Well, weeks later, we decided, let's do something better. Let's make a, let's, uh, let's make a, you know, a, a little documentary about the beer brewing world. So we were traveling across country, interviewing the biggest brew pubs and the smallest ones about the American dream. And about a month into the trip, I, I realized that swinging hammers and putting tools away and putting... 24 foot fiberglass ladders on top of vans at the end of the day was not not where I wanted to be in life. And uh, I kind of threw it all away and forced myself into the distilling world. 
previously worked for a, a, a very national company in Philadelphia. Um, and then I kind of ran my course through them and realized I want to take the next step and be a head distiller and kind of use my recipes and kind of do that kind of the other logistical side and kind of run the show, like a puppeteer and kind of get people and kind of just make things right. The way I envision, you know, what I wanted to see from the industry and what I wanted to get. So I interviewed for about a year. I found these guys online and uh, it just seemed like the right thing. The mountains, camping, motorcycles, making bourbon, you know, cold rivers, quiet nights. And so I forced my way in with these guys and threw everything I owned away. Never been to Vermont, didn't even see the apartment I rented and just came up blindly. And it's, it's been a work of art here uh, between watching these guys doing the build out, which came quicker than imagined with some of the best contractors in the area and just the good times with everybody, just a kind of a family vibe that that is that we have going on here you know so i'm here i'm in the present and we're making bourbon and rye and the uh bonfire which will get to you later too awesome awesome so i do see as part of the um build that you've got a nice what it looks like a vendome uh still behind you and uh let's jump in the jump in the list a little bit but i'm curious if you had to wait for the for the still what's our waiting list when you got there it was worth every minute and we met some real good people real talented people you know when we first started this project that january we started going to distilleries and going on tours and looking at equipment and i'm, I'm from the hot rod automotive uh, architectural welding fabricating you know we live in a firehouse with a 40s and 50s machine shop downstairs, my wife and kids and I, you know, Matt's from the math world. And so we're, you know, a yin and a yang, and it's, and it's really just made for a great relationship and made this project really fun. So the equipment to me was, you know, I wanted to know everything, I wanted to learn. So we, uh, we went on a lot of tours and, and looked at the German equipment and we looked at the Vendome stuff. And the end of the day, all the arrows, you know, pointed to, Vendome was a way to go. And uh, Rob now is, you know, Sherman down there. He's, I would call him friend. I mean, we went down and, and saw, saw the place and, and all the people that work there. And it's, I mean, they do just such an amazing job. You know, it's just, that's craftsmanship, it's charm. It's, you know, they go home proud at night. So we were happy to get that. Absolutely. I've never met a distillery that had any Vendome equipment and had a complaint about it. So that's, that's certainly something going for them. I'm curious, and this is really a question for both, for both of you, uh, perhaps uh, Glenn more for you in the dis distilleries that you toured and then Ryan for you in the, the brews, that, brews, the breweries and uh, other facilities that you toured. Uh, what were some of the places you visited that were perhaps the most inspirational for what ended up being your build out? I don't know. I mean, our first place we stopped was Hill Rock and they had a 250 Vendome that they had just moved out and they were putting a 500 in. And originally we were looking at a 250, but three out of the four places that we'd went that first few weeks were all upsizing the 500. So, you know, as blind as we were at this, we said, well, sounds like we should just start with the 500 and not 
have to shut down the set back up. But that place was beautiful. I mean, it was amazing. And, and that's where you could actually see the charm of the Vendome. And that was really, you know, the selling point. Um, we bopped around a few in the city down in New York area. Um, but that was, I mean, that really stuck out the most in my mind was, was the, uh, was Hill Rock. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a jewel of the Hudson Valley. It's, uh, I'm big on New York distilleries. What can I say? I'm New York born and bred. So it's, that's, that's my core thing here. But, um, that being said, I want to I want to talk to people like you because I want to explore these states that are uh, perhaps don't have the same notoriety yet for distilling, just in volume or or what have you. So, um, so you know, Ryan, throwing the same question to you: Were there any uh, kind of breweries that you saw equipment and their processes that really stood out to you? Um, I've I've done some traveling and used different kinds of stills: Hago stills, Carl stills. Uh, Precise stills from Scotland, mm-hmm. you know, Lambic pot stills. I've never used a Vendome still, but as far as places and equipment, things that inspired me to make me want to be in the industry, it was a brewery. It was Dark Horse Brewery in Marshall, Michigan. And just the allure of what they built, like this little family run but very ornate with things all over the place and just seeing just seeing that i was like you know what this is i gotta be in the industry and but as far as equipment goes i mean i started off on a 1500 liter and a 2500 liter copper pot you know foresight still so i started off on the big biggest ones you know that you can get for, for traditionally a craft distillery um, which I do love those, but this Vendome one, I think is way better. They're kind of bulletproof and you can't make bad booze on it. If you make bad booze, you shouldn't be in the industry on a Vendome. I think they're, they're bulletproof on every level. Can't argue with you on that one. Uh, just before we get deeper into Village Garage in particular, uh, I'm curious if there's any kind of history of distilling in Vermont that uh, people might not be aware of. We usually think of the main distilleries for bourbon and such, the rum distilleries, maybe on the coastline, but um, what was it like in in Vermont? I mean, there's a handful. I mean, there's quite a few that have popped up that have been here before us. And uh, I don't really know. I mean, we're really just trying to come in behind the guys that are already here in the state and trying Mm -hmm. to help if we could help create where Vermont became an actual whiskey category at some point, you know, we have all the craft beers. There's so many different trades and crafts people, you know, when we got the maple syrup and, and, you know, the beer thing is so good, but if we can help some of these other guys to kind of pave the road for us to come in behind and just solidify what they've already started and, and help them, you know, really create something that where people take, look at Vermont and give us a serious head nod. It's like, no, it's Vermont, it's Vermont whiskey. It's good. So it's kind of. Would you say you're? Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Ryan. Go ahead. Uh, sorry to you know interrupt you. You know we're on the podcast here, but uh, you know once I moved up here, looking at the history, uh, there wasn't, there hasn't been much history on distilling on that massive level as far as going back, you know, historically speaking. Uh, mostly like 
some rum drinks, but they were importing everything, you know. 1812, um, there was a distillery here in Bennington downtown. And I chased it down a little bit, but I can't give you enough information. You know, but I know in the 1812s, they were, because there was, there was newspaper flyers. They were buying every apple they could back in oh, 1812 to, to ferment and distill. Gotcha. I mean, is there, with the guys who've come ahead of you and now you following that road, as you say, that they've paid for you, uh, do you see kind of a Vermont, a Vermont style or a Vermont um, profile coming out? Or is it more about just saying Vermont is is a viable state for distilling and, and should be considered so? Well, uh, yeah. So Vermont is known for their, their winter... Uh, the winter rye is that what it is? The winter rye. So they, that's a big thing up here. Um, a lot of the corn growers up here, uh, and a lot of apple. Uh, but as far as styles go, I think we're just starting to touch the. You know, the past twenty years, we're just trying to we're trying to make that be a thing. You know, that's we're, we're trying to help everybody else, like he was saying. You know, put it on the map. But it, we're we're gonna help. We're gonna do this. We get all four seasons, so our summers in the rack house are hot, and our winters <laughs> cold. So it's it's you know it's we're hoping we can see what comes of that. Absolutely. Now, are you? That brings the question: Are you guys able to age on site? We are right now, and we're we're working towards another offsite property. I'm on, the, I'm on a you know a hundred acres just out about three miles from here outside of town, and. We're just, you know, we're growing, <laughs> we're growing right now in front of you, basically. So we're going to be, you know, that's our next step is to get a, build a, another storage facility up on the farm, just outside of town. Or we can get, we have 200 plus right now we have house. 300 sitting here. Nice. Nice. Because you can go, let's, let's get into, so I, I warned Jen before, and uh, for listeners, Jen is the person who, I've been communicating with at first and who helped make this connection happen. And I, I did warn her that this can get pretty nerdy. So um, feel free to go as nerdy or, or as in detail as you, as you want. But um, yeah, what, what is your, your barrel lineup look like right now? Right now in the past year, uh, well, the bourbon is 60% corn, 40% malted rye, all grown in Vermont. Uh, malted in Vermont. Uh, so right now our bourbon barrels, uh, I have past year have made 90 bourbon barrels. I've made 64 rye barrels. Um, and then I, I really like scotches, smoky scotches. So I've had all of our barley grown in Vermont with the maltsters up north, Nordic 2.0 farm, or I forget what they go by now. But I had them take, they took 4,000 pounds of barley uh, and smoked it with Vermont maple wood, 100 pounds at a time. So it took them about a month to smoke 4,000 pounds for me. So I did 100% single malt smoked barley. Um, I've done some single malt runs. Um, and I've done some other, when we were first started off, some, some other variations of bourbon uh, just to kind of get the, still a test run so 70 2010s things like that um but yeah then i'm we're working on gins uh 
this year to work on the gym where I, I, uh, I pick everything from the state, just go 30 mile hike and I forge everything and make a gin. And then we're going to age that gin. Um, I've also been working with meteries up here. So I'm giving them my ex bourbon barrels and letting them age mead in it. So then once they finish aging their mead, they'll extract their mead, give me the barrel back. And then I could use that as a finishing cast for other projects. Um, I'm working with some other wineries now uh, to get them barrels so they can age wine in there. So then I, in exchange, get the barrel back. Uh, so for me, it's about, you know, the life cycle of our barrels and how we can just help each other out in Vermont. Like, here's what I have. You fill it up. That'll pair well with what's in my head, but I can make, get the barrel back and we can finish off in that. And then we can give people a true taste of Vermont, you know, a full life cycle. Here's a Vermont in a nutshell, everything that you can get your hands on. We've also got friends that do the maple syrup and they're after us for the, for the used bourbon barrels to age the maple syrup in. So they'll age that and then we can get the barrels back afterwards as a finishing barrel. Oh yeah. I, I run through barrel aged maple syrup. I got, got to admit. Um, I mean, these are, I know you guys are, are relatively young and I, I don't mean that disparagingly at all. I want to make that clear. Uh, but you have some incredibly just, I'm looking at my notes, just some incredibly interesting projects that you, that you're doing even with uh, what sounds like a relatively small stock at the moment. I mean, the, I know mead is, uh, has been a big thing, but is even growing farther in the Vermont, New Hampshire, Northern Massachusetts kind of area. Uh, we've got family that are about 20 miles that are in Massachusetts, but about 20 miles South of Nashua. So a lot of meteries and wineries up there to try out. Uh, I'm also, I mean, I'm fascinated by the, the single malt run that you did because I'm American single malt right now is kind of one of those rabbit holes I'm going down. Uh, Ryan, I'm curious, what's your, what's your go-to smoky scotch? Oh my God. I think, uh, your best bang for your buck. I like the Lafro 12 year for 34.99. I love that one. It's super smoky, very peaty. Price is right. The boys will have a good time. I, I think ours is a little different. It's going to be, it's, it's a smoke bomb. Uh, I think people that like smoky whiskeys are going to love this. And I'm really excited for people to get liquid on the lips. And once they taste it, they'll be blown away. And, and another unique thing about why I came up here was, you know, breweries always have these one-offs. You know, there's always a new beer expression every other month, you know, and distilleries don't do that because it's a lot of paperwork and it's a lot of work. So I said to these guys, can we do this? I have 40 recipes. I'm going to start making them now. And then every quarter of the year, we'll release a small batch recipe. It's only sold in house, forces people to come here and see what these guys built and get all ooh and ah, you know, heartfelt about it. And then they'll know what we're doing, you know? So the single moths, uh, yeah, 100% barley. The medium char barrel, gonna age in probably four years. Um, I'm aging those ones at, I believe, I would check the notes, but I think 114 proof. So you'll get a little bit of sweetness on the front end. And hopefully as it ages, 
and evaporates and all that angel share and devil's cut and all that stuff that the, you know, the proof will go higher. So I'll get more toasty notes out of it too, more. So I kind of get it in between, you know, feel of the shirts from the barrels and the toastiness too over the years. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Hey, I'm excited too. Like I, I'll admit, I'm not much of a of a Lefroy fan. Uh, it's for me, it's just too. Um, it has that iodine note that I know some people just love, and I just I can't do it. I'm I'm more of a Kalila, where it's just that meaty or meaty smoke or Highland Park with the wood smoke. But uh, I respect the frog, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, as far as the smoky scotches go, you know what? I I tend to drink them during Ravi Burns Day, and we all bring 30 bottles over. By the mm. end of the night, I don't remember which one I like the best. And the one that always sticks out is the Lafro 12 years, because that's the one I bought. <laughs> so that's hey. how I always remember that one. Hey, totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, Glenn, how about you? You enjoy any of the smoky scotches, or are you uh, I'm not at the other side? right now i've got a 10 year old and a 12 year old and i pretty much always need a b plus game so <laughs> really i don't drink much anymore because i'm always on call and a little league skiing snowboarding so mm. it's really i'm not i'm i enjoy the bourbon and you know, a little here and there but for the most part i'm always working so it's you know i'm around it all the time i don't really get to enjoy it that much hey it's fair it's fair well but then you have ryan to to be uh running the stills yeah i have no children my life is playing <laughs> it's never playing when you got i mean in a lot of ways this is the feeling that i get from from you but also from other people i've spoken to that when you get your hands on a distillery and you get in the first time and you're you get to have your own mash bills and as you're describing your own experiments and such these things become your children just as much as anything else you know, the mash bills are your children the they're your legacy and what you're creating so um to me that that makes it even more exciting from an external perspective to see people getting to just run wild and and try what they want to try so, i don't know where if there's something to, to follow that up with i don't know but the, that's that's just me saying yeah you know what i always think about what i want to make and i always you know, I like that's why I like the freedom of my life is that I get to do adventures. Like this weekend, I'm going on a motorcycle clip diving trip, and I have a little notebook always with me because I never know when an idea pops into my head. And I just jot them down. I think about it. I talk to other people. You know, and yeah, creativity and ideas. And you know, for me, it's always been you know the kiss factor. Keep it simple, stupid. So never. Never something too weird, nothing too obscure. Even with, with brewing beer when I was younger, was I always did things classic to style, but did them good. So that's kind of what I want to make is things classic to style and just done right, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I come from. Classic to style, done right, liquid the lips, and just watch people's faces light up and they're happy. And it's, it makes me feel warm inside. Less is more. I like it. I can respect that. That's it's. I, even if you go in the future, uh, to do more experimentation, more line breakouts, and things like that, uh, I think just having those basics and making the basics 
right, as you say, doing them right is when, the foundation for the future. When you get into our bonfire, that's where that was. It's still whiskey with just a little hint of Vermont in it, but it's, it's still, you know, you're drinking whiskey. It's not hidden yeah. in flavor. It's just it a little bit of Vermont in it. No, I mean, I'll, I admit, I enjoyed all three of the expressions that uh, were sent to me, and, and thank you for, for sending those to me. For me, the rye was number one. I'm just, I love, I've been on a rye kick recently. I just love ryes. Um, also, actually, Ryan, you said uh, you said the bourbon mash bill. What was the rye mash bill? 100% malted rye. 100% malted rye. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just love rye, especially those high ryes. So um, that one caught me. Enjoyed all three, but the bonfire was a close second to the rye for me. And yeah, the bonfire just kind of happened. That was, a, I don't know, yeah. call it an accident, but it was, it, we just, yeah, it, we had a, a local thing um, here in town, was a garlic fest, and there's vendors, there's cloves all over town. And at the end of it, my friend Sugar Bob came over, and he's a maple syrup guy, and he's an old friend. And he has a company called Sugar Bob's Finest Kind. He does smoked sriracha. He does all sorts of Vermont foods and, and stuff. And we had some whiskey that it just wasn't, it needed something. And we were joking about it. It's like, hey, let's add some of your maple to it. And then the more we got joking, he said, let's add some of your smoked maple to it. And he got us some smoked maple. This was like on a Saturday evening. Monday morning, we had smoked maple in house, and Ryan started, you know, playing with percentages and levels, and uh, that's kind of where we came up, where we're at right there. What you've got, and it's just a little sweetness, a little bit of smokiness, and you know, you can still, still whiskey. You know, that's designed to drink right out of the bottle at a campfire, and yeah. pass it around. And... Yeah, it was delicious. I, I'm looking at it, and it's. Uh... So with the rye whiskey, what stood out for you? Can I ask that? Am I allowed to? Yeah, of course. Of course, you're allowed to ask me anything. For me, I really enjoyed the I enjoyed the brightness of the rye. It was bright for me, it was peppery. Uh, it was um it had a darker quality, which is probably from the fact that it was malted, 100 percent malted rye as opposed to you know, regular rye with uh, with enzymes or with with malt separately. Um, that's really the thing. I like rye that tastes like rye, and uh, it wasn't overly sweet by any means. And uh, again, I I don't really enjoy the fifty one percent rye as much as I do the 80s, 75, 80, 100 percent rye. So that's what really stuck out to me. It was just the the brightness, the freshness, the clarity of grain and uh, the pepperiness behind it as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's honest. I, I'm, I'm always honest about what I think about something. Uh, if Please. I don't like something, if I don't like something, I won't tell you here, I'll tell you privately, but because uh, I don't think that's right. But um, no, I really did enjoy it. And the, it was interesting because I went from the, to the bourbon first, then the rye and then finish with the bonfire because i figured with a little maple in there it's going to be sweeter it's it, you know be nice to finish it out on that as opposed to starting with that um it reminded me a lot of 
the toasted barrel craze it's kind of been going on the last few years where everyone's introducing a toasted barrel finish or something like that and um adds in some if it's done right it adds in some nice marshmallow notes or a little more creaminess things like that but uh it can also go very wrong and just be just extra wood <laughs> not much else but uh no this was it was it was a little more unique than that and i attribute that in both trying and hearing you talk about it to that smoked maple um and that's not a flavor i had tasted before smoked maple is that kind of a just a thing up there that uh that bob tried and he really liked doing it and it's it's a thing yeah no he does and he's got different glazes and different things and i mean we would go on sundays there's a local place up near him it's like an hour north of us 45 minutes north of us and they would have sunday night wing night and you would go get sugar bob smoked maple chicken wings mm. <laughs> you know you had to Speaking get your own language yeah no it was uh, um, but no it would just I mean, he does all the other maple stuff too, but the smoked maple just has, it's a whole process he has to go through. It's all FDA, it was, it was but it, it fit, like it. it was, but you still could taste, it was whiskey. It wasn't, you know, we didn't hide the whiskey, we just. No, yeah, it, it doesn't overtake it at all. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned, Glenn, when you were walking, when you were going through other distilleries, you came down to New York City and, uh, I was thinking too of Widow Jane when they put out their uh, decadence. Yep, that was one of them we went to. Yep. Um, and uh, the the decadence I had batch one. I haven't had subsequent batches. They they usually fly off the shelf, uh, honestly. But um, you know they're finished in in maple syrup casks and and they do kind of the same thing. They'll age their own stuff, give the bur- the barrel out, and then get the barrel back. Um, I get the sense haven't been, they haven't been too open with me about it, but I get the sense that the barrels, when they get it back from the maple syrup are, uh, it's a pretty wet fill. You know, there's a good amount of maple kind of still in the barrel uh, when they get it. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great sipping whiskey. It's, it's maple and, and sweet as hell. I mean, it's, it's not an aperitif whiskey. It's, it's definitely dessert. Uh, it's good, but it's definitely a dessert one. But uh, the bonfire I found, because I tasted them side by side afterwards, after remembering that I had some left, the bonfire tasted more balanced, I guess. Like it didn't have, it could be a dessert whiskey, but it doesn't have to be. No. Like it would pair to... really well with like a, like a pork dish or something like that as well. Or and the, and the one issue I've noticed <clears throat> that people are like, oh, I'm going to age my whiskey in the next, you know, maple barrel you have no control of the final experiment. It could be super maple. So what I've learned over the years, the trick is whenever you get a barrel back from somebody, you rinse it out twice, let it drain out, because that flavor is still in the wood. If you leave whatever there, then it's always just too much and you can't bring it back. Roll the dice. You know, you can't bring right. it back. So I like, you know, because if you rinse them out, let them, you know, rinse out and you age or finish aging in there you have more control of the final product if you're going to do if you're going to do it that way you know i mean that it's smart this is playing smart it's you're right it gives you so much more control and i mean we're talking maple barrels the people probably more familiar with like a wine barrel finish but if you get a port a port hogshead or 
I guess a, a port pipe. I get confused with the term sometimes. Port pipe or a sherry bud or something like that. I mean, they've got gallons of sherry still in in the wood, as you say, but also just pooled at the bottom. But if you empty it out, um, yeah, I think I'm just hypothesizing here. But I think, unlike what you just said, a lot of other places will uh, be afraid to rinse it out because they'll be afraid they're going to lose that sherry flavor, the maple flavor, whatever they're going for. Um, but you're right. There's so much of it still in the wood that you're, you know, worst case, you have to keep it in there a little longer to get a stronger maple flavor, but you have more control in doing so. Yeah. Another uh, cool thing. So we, we ended up uh, connecting with someone that had uh, some 27 year old Armagnac cast out in France. Mm -hmm. They drained them and shipped them to us. So I just worked on uh, a blended whiskey. Uh, so I'm going to fill that up next week. So I got two 118-gallon, uh, you know, Armagnac cask. The blend is almost done. Some of our rye, some of our bourbon, and I got my hands with some 14-year-old bourbon. So a little pinch of that in there. And I'm going to pop the barrel, see if there's liquid in there, smell it, you know, maybe pour a little water, drain it out, maybe not. I'm going to get a feel for it next week. And then so a year from now, we'll have a year-old uh, London whiskey Armagnac finish um, coming out with next summertime. I mean, I might have to make the trip up just for that. That I love, especially a rye and an Armagnac finish. Love, love, love. Um, that reminds me, actually, have you? This is reversing the, reversing the timeline. But um, have you tried any of the uh, Bakta Fifty spirits? Line. I have. It's been a long, it's been quite some time, but I have, and I love those. Okay. I'm just thinking because it was the Armagnac uh, finished in the Isla peat casks. So, Ooh. you know, for, for your palate, it sounds like that would be like just spot on in terms yeah. of, of what you like. But um, but in flipping that back to the, you know, an older Armagnac, bringing that barrel back to finish the rye the bourbon, um, I, I just love that. I'm, I'm happy that you guys are taking that on and that Armagnac in general is becoming just a more known quantity. So, uh, I mean, hmm. so this is a, it's a weird question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think, I think it's cool, which is the, so the conversation and the, um, the ethos behind Village Garage seem very, it seems very clear on one side. Like you want to do things, you're doing things, get the basics right and then go from there. But on the other side, even being not too far past the first distillations and just a couple of years in, uh, you clearly have so many ideas for what you want to do. And it's not necessarily just the idea that everyone else in the industry is doing. Um, but there might be a couple others finishing an Armagnac, but not everyone's doing it. Certainly not everyone's rinsing out barrels before refilling to get a flavor in there. Um, so with the, with the stock that you have now and the production capacity that you're working with right now, um, you know, how many of these projects can you kind of approach at any given time? Uh, I think the idea is to look in the future and work your way backwards. 
So, okay, we want to have something two next year, maybe three the following year. You know, we also, I, you know, I think it's best to have some of these projects just kept in house. So we don't need that much space. So if we just lay down a total of eight barrels a year of two projects, you know, four or four, then I think the next year that we'll see what happens with them and how much people love them. And then, okay, then we'll just build off of that. But most of our space is geared towards bourbon and rye. We are a dark spirits and uh, distillery and bourbon rye is our forefront. So that will always take 90% of the space here. 10% of the space, the other projects that I can squeeze out um, on that level. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're, they're certainly fascinating and, and I haven't heard one yet that I didn't want to try. It was just a question of when you said the production that, that had been going on so far, I was, uh, just doing the math in my head and I was like, hmm, it's not too much left over for you to to work with. But I, it's still it's still exciting. So going into the so we're talking about the um the bourbon a bit, the rye a bit. Um just going backwards to the the fermentation stage, you know, what kind of um, yeast and fermentation process are you guys using? Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. Impex imports premium and rare whiskey, gin, rum, mezcals, liqueurs, and cordials from all over the world, from Scotland to Japan to Israel, Belgium, and Wales. Whether it's Kilhoman, Pandaren, Portiskeg, Glenallachy, Ohishi, Fukano, M&H, Ardnamurkin, Black Tot, and more, there's guaranteed to be something in the Impex portfolio you'll love. Impex also oversees some of the most prestigious independent bottlers in the game, including Single Malts of Scotland, Single Cast Nation, Adelphi Selection, and its own Impex collection. Take a look at their site, impexbev.com, or reach out if you're curious about their offerings. I'm proud to have many of their bottles on my shelves and love sharing them with friends whenever I can. Thank you to Sam and to the team for joining the Whiskering Podcast as guest and sponsor. All right, fermentations. Yes, right now, since you know, I'm just kind of keeping it simple and easy. Um, I'm not since we don't have a full lab, I can't get too crazy with yeast and cultivating yeast and doing all that stuff. Um, so I, I bought when we first started, I bought a bunch of different kinds of yeast, uh, because I just wanted to see what the bourbon tasted like. So I ran through probably about eight different kinds of yeast for the bourbon. And I found that like the one from Kentucky from a major company, uh, more of an industrial yeast, it kind of, it just screamed bourbon. It just screamed, this is what bourbon is. This is a great flavor with the flavor of our grains and how we're fermenting, that it works perfect. So we do all open top fermentation. Windows are open, wild yeast coming in, creating our acid profile unique down here. Uh, so I use alpha amylase for high temperature to break down the corn because I don't use any barley in my in my bourbon. So I don't have those enzymes. Right. Uh, so I use an alpha amylase enzyme and I'll use a gluco uh, amylase enzyme for, you know, the cool down side. And then I also use like a defomer, kind of like a, a vegetable kind of defomer. So that way 
our fermentation tanks, I can max out completely. So I only have about one inch of crowds in uh, my fermentation tank. So I don't overflow. So I'm right at the mark. Um, so four day fermentation, um, a standard mash bill temperatures, you know, our mashing at 120 degrees for 20 minutes. I raise up to 150, let that go for an hour, go to 190, boil it down, chill it down. Um, and then, yeah, 120, throw gluco in, my defomer in, <clears throat> cool it down, pitch my yeast right into it. <clears throat> What's nice about our place is, was, which, uh, what I think is beautiful, is that we have a chemical-free boiler. So I don't really use any caustics, acids, really any PBWs. We just steam everything till it's neutral and do it that way. That way there's no chemical, no, nothing's going in the drain that's going to hurt the environment. So we're trying to be sustainable here uh and that factor most of our grains go out to a farmer to feed the animals in return we get the meat back uh we have about three quarters of a mile of piping underground for our glycol it's cooled down naturally snow melt things like that on energy savings um but yes as far as fermentation standard four-day fermentations when in the future when i do other some of my more funkier projects my one-offs um, I will get some yeast made, you know, if I want an apple kind of vibe and do it. Like, so my more one-off projects that I've already made, I've, I've, I've gotten different yeast, uh, not the yeast that we use for our bourbon. So I want something more unique, geared towards how that spirit is made. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the future, yes, I do want to maybe find the beer brewery locally. Say, hey, I really like this this IP. I really like the fruitiness of this. What is your yeast? Or give me your dregs. Give me your dregs. I'll clean it up. I'll send it to a lab. They can procreate it, make it in bulk, and then we can make some some cool thing with that. And then it's always a collaboration with the brewery down the street. You know. So those are the things we I will be working on in the future. I just we're up and running. <laughs> you know. So. I, I'm a one and a half man army back here. Uh, so we're, we're doing a lot and we're trying to, you know, check all the boxes. Uh, but for now, just kind of standard industry practices, nothing too, too funky yet um, on that level as far as fermentation goes. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, I mean, number one, I appreciate the transparency behind it. I guess not every place is even doing that. Um, and I, I love that idea of working with the breweries to for, you know, both just on the regular and for one-off projects. Uh, I'm reminded of, uh, I was talking to Westward Whiskey out in Oregon. And uh, of course they're doing single malt exclusively, but they use, I believe Sierra Nevada's yeast strain uh, to, to create their brew. And, um, you know, as a former or current home brewer, that uh, not not all distillers beer is potable <laughs> or enjoyably potable. Uh, but you know, theirs, for example, comes out to basically an unhopped ale, and then they distill that. Uh, and then there's one, there's another company, another distillery in Texas that is currently doing that or about to start doing that. Um, and I'm I'm fascinated by that intersection of the beer and the distillery world because to me it seems like such a natural connection natural growth process 
And yet I find in the people that I've talked to, at least, and this might just be a random sampling, that a lot of people have gone from the wine industry into distilling as opposed to beer into distilling. Um, just observational, but it, it seems like beer is the more, the smoother path in. Um, what else? So I know, you know, I know we are getting towards the top of the hour uh, and I want to be respectful of your guys' time. So uh, I wanted to, to make sure to ask, Vermont is a liquor control state in terms of sales and, and distribution and such. So I'm curious what that's meant in terms of your build out, uh, you know, what it means now as you're, as you're really starting to put out product and what it means for the future. Um, I want to say it didn't really affect us as much in the build out, the build out, we ended up being when we came through, it wasn't just Vermont laws or Vermont codes. It was kind of more of a national people had gotten together and said, Hey, there's rules. So we were one of the first truly, you know, compliant distilleries. I mean, we've got air monitoring systems with alcohol, I mean, shunt trip, there's HR users, it's, it's backup generators for the safety on top of the safety. So it was, I mean, that part was tough, but that wasn't a Vermont thing. That's kind of a, a national thing now besides we were. Um, the state's been really good with us. I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, you've got to, when you, you know, when you're here working for two or three years building a space, you kind of become numb and then you walk into the liquor store and you're like, oh my, look at the options. Like, how do we, how do we become special? How do we, how do we make somebody that's worked hard all week, reach into their wallet and try us, you know? Mm -hmm. so, um, but all in all, Vermont's been really good. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot of work. We've actually just recently, um, we've inked with New Hampshire. So that's our next place. Um, hopefully this fall we'll be moving over there. Um, after that, we want to drop down into Massachusetts. And then we're available in New York limited right now because where we are on the map, we are three hours from Manhattan. We're two and a half hours from Fenway Park or, or Boston. Um, we're Albany, New York and Saratoga. We're under an hour to either of those. Montreal or Montreal is three and a half hours, you know, maybe a little more than that north. So we're where we're located, there's a lot of stuff going on around us. So I mean New York is three miles to the west. So we're right here. But like I said, we're trying to get out in them other states. But the Vermont, they they've been good. It's just it's it's work. It's, it's a lot of work. Fair. No, I, I know uh Whenever I talk to someone in a control state, I've talked to a couple of distilleries in Ohio, for example, um, one in Virginia, and uh, it's it's a different story per state because, of course, it's state by state at that level. But um, no, it's good to hear that Vermont is is treating you well and and that you're expanding too. I mean, at, yeah. uh, at questions about the future, but you guys have you know answered them all. You're uh, you've got the plans. You're you know what you're what you need to do. Um, this is really, I'm fascinated to see where you guys are going. I can't wait to taste, hopefully taste uh, those projects when they're upcoming. Um, yeah. But, you know, before we close out, is there anything uh, we haven't mentioned that you want to mention? Uh, I think just come by. Bourbon. Yeah, stop in. I mean, we're here at the tasting room. It's 
like I said, everything in this place is 75 years old and it was built out period. Correct. I mean, everything's the way it's supposed to be. And it's just, it's, we're proud of what we're doing. We've got a good food program, um, a little bit of live entertainment we're working into, um, tours, tastings, events, um, just, you know, trying to put some life back in our downtown and, uh, Vermont help, help the other distilleries in the state you know try to put Vermont on the map as a as a as a as a legitimate whiskey category for you know a whiskey choice so it sums it up fantastic well Ryan Glenn thank you thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight um Jen thank you for making the introduction uh she's, she's the silent partner on this call but um a a wonderful and important partner uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to try these three products. Um, as I said, I'm excited for pretty much everything you mentioned. So uh, we'll definitely be in touch when those come down the line. Um, I'll make sure to put address, website, uh, all your social media stuff and show notes for this episode so people can go follow, like, subscribe, visit, and definitely give, you know, give Village Garage a taste. I believe we're available in 38 states through our online store too right now. Perfect. There you go. So there's so or just village garage distillery, I think on Instagram and Facebook. So what he's saying is you have no excuse to not find that. Basically, if you're if you're in one of the twelve states and you can't find it, find another state to find it. Because thirty whether it's thirty-eight or forty-one, at that point you can find it. Just takes a little effort. So um definitely give it a try. Uh like I said, I got to try the rye, the bourbon and bonfire each its own wonderful experience uh did come out the rye came out on top for me but you be the judge so guys thanks so much again uh thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the podcast again you'll have all the info in the show notes and uh guys hang on with me for a second and see you next week thank you david drive fast take chances go eagles